if praise is a struggle for you, then the message is for you today. If there are times in your life where you feel like, I'd, I'd like to offer that kind of praise, but I, I get a little embarrassed. You ever thought about that when you're praising God? Any of you ever thought, I wonder what people are going to think of me now? All eyes are surely on me. And so today, David teaches us some amazing things. And I'll go ahead and give you some of them right now so you'll be looking for them. One is, it's hard to offer up an empty thank you to the Lord. So parents, you, you know what it's like sometimes, right, to... Uh, tell your children after they've been sort of fussing and fighting with each other, you look at them and say, now you, you tell them you're sorry. And then they say, I'm sorry. And, and then you look at them and say, now, now you say it and you mean it. Because <laughs> you knew they didn't mean it. I, I wonder sometimes as Christians if we offer up praise and thank you and we don't really mean it. It, it really doesn't come from anywhere. It's empty. It, it doesn't come from any real understanding of the goodness of God and what He's done in our life. That we've been so busy or consumed by life that we just didn't even make place for it. So to offer up any kind of thanksgiving feels sort of hollow. I wonder sometimes when we say grace or bless the food or whatever it may be, that it's just hollow. And so David teaches us that, one, you got to have something, some understanding behind your thanksgiving if it's going to really be good. And then the other part that he tells us is you can't care what other people think. You, you can't be worried about how it's received by those around you. So by setting the stage, I turn your attention again to 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is actually also found over in 1 Corinthians. Sorry, not 1 Corinthians, 1 Chronicles. Uh, chapter 16. And I want to bring this point up because it's New Year's and some of you are looking for a New Year's resolution and I'm going to give you one, okay? I said it before, like last, I don't know, probably two or three weeks ago, I talked about how the Bible, the books of the Bible are written in such a way that different books cover the same stories, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all cover the the stories of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so I actually had someone not that long ago tell me, Kevin, I've been reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. They keep telling the same stories. Why, why do they keep repeating themselves? And they were serious as a heart attack. Just They were serious. And I said, well, that's because the Bible is not written in order. And they said, do what? You can just see the confusion on their face. I said, I, I know, I know, as Americans and as readers of whatever, we read from the beginning to the end, and it's in chronological order. I, I don't like those movies where they keep jumping back and forth between time, you know, like they're in the present, and then they jump to the past and all of that. That's what it can feel like sometimes reading the Bible, and people never actually get the story of the Bible in their head. Like, they can't tell you from beginning to end the, the story, which is his story, history, it's, it's his story. And so what I recommended a few weeks ago, and you guys, man, jumped on, I had like three or four texts that week that said, where do I get me one of them Bibles? <laughs> and the Bible they were talking about, it's called a, a chronological reading of the Bible. And, and what it does is it puts the, the stories in order. So it takes the verses from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and it pulls them all together so that you, you get all of the verses pertaining to the stories in the order that they go. Oh, it's transformational. 
when I did it so many years ago, I was like, I got it. I, I actually have the, I have the story of the Bible in my head. So for those of you who are looking for a New Year's resolution, Amazon, which I don't get any kickback from this, Amazon has chronological Bibles and different translations for you to get. I would recommend reading through the Bible in that order at least one time in your life. It, you, you won't regret it. In fact, if you do it and you regret it, come on back and see me and I'll give you your money back, okay? Second, Second Samuel chapter 6. Is it okay if we read a few verses today? Can y'all handle that? All right, let's read a few. I'm going to start in verse 12. It says, Now it was told to King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all the belongings to him on account of the ark of God. Now let's stop right there for some context. David wanted to move the ark of God, which in the Old Testament, the presence of God would come down on this golden box between these angelic figures. And, and he would meet with them. And you had to carry it on poles with men had to carry it. The priest had to carry it. Well, David got a little slack in his understanding of the word. And he thought, well, you know, you can carry it on poles. But you could probably also use an ox and a, a wagon. And we could just put it on the wagon and carry it. Can I tell you that the presence of God rests on people? That the presence of God is carried by and when they put it on an ox, they diminished and dishonored God. And so this man named Yuza, he tries to, to, to steady the ark because the, the ox almost tips this thing over. Yuza wants to try to steady it because he's thinking, I don't want this thing to fall in the dirt. That would be dishonoring it, not realizing you touching it would dishonor it. And Yuza dies. And David gets scared. So the verses above this, David is scared and he's seeking the word of God. Now, you ever messed up and then went and consulted God to figure out what you did wrong? Yeah. A lot of times we don't even consult the word of God as long as things are going good. But as soon as we make a mistake, everybody's like, can we figure out what God wanted? <laughs> so David parks the ark at Obed-Edom until he can study the word and figure out how not to make God mad and how to get this ark to uh, to Jerusalem. Let's keep reading. So it said, David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom in the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed, sacrificed a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord. You hear that? He was dancing. <laughs> with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. He's down to his undergarments, so to speak. And so David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting, with sounds of trumpets. And there are people today that say, you know, you shouldn't make a big fuss in your worship to God. And it, it shouldn't be all that emotional and all that. And I'm like, that may be your tradition. And I respect that. I would never want you to, to disrespect your tradition. But I'm going after a tradition that's more like David. I'm, I'm going after a tradition that's sold out like David. 
that will dance before the Lord, that will shout before the Lord, that will blow a, a trumpet. It's almost like David says, if you got something, use it to praise God with it. <laughs> it's like, whatever you got, you got some keys in your pocket, shake them. <laughs> whatever you got, praise the Lord. And then it says in verse 16, Then it happened, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, this is his wife. How many of you know, I think her name is actually pronounced Michael, but, but I've said Michael for so long that I'll probably say that. But how many of you have ever heard of her? Michael. Raise your hand if you've heard of her. Good Bible teaching people around here, praise God. If you haven't heard of her, you'll find out why you haven't heard of her soon. Most, most people haven't. Then it happened, as the ark of the Lord came to the city, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. I'm going to skip over these, these next verses because David's making sacrifices. He's giving gifts to the people. I will say this, though. That if your worship only involves making an offering to the Lord, but it never involves making an offering to people who are in need, your offering may have been insufficient. You see, there are a lot of people who say, I'll give my praise and my honor and I'll give whatever to the Lord, but they have no concern for people. And I will tell you that if your worship is pleasing to God, there's something about it. That when you fall in love with God, you know what you'll also do? You'll fall in love with people. Even fallen people. And you'll want to do good things for them. So that they might see the goodness of God that you found. So let me tell you to be careful of a worship experience that is high and mighty comes Sunday morning and forgets about the people who are beside you Monday through Saturday. Yes. Yeah. So he gives gifts to everybody. And then David is ready to return home. Look at verse 20. But when David returned to bless his household, he does that last. You ever found out sometimes it's the hardest in the world to minister to your own family? Anybody ever thought of that? It's like I can minister to anyone except my wife or my husband or my mama or my children. Yeah. And, and in fact, people will tell you, look, you just can't minister to the ones that are that close to you. Can I call that a lie? I want to call it a lie. You're actually the most positioned to minister to them. The problem is they see you in all your warts and all your failures and all your humanity. And so you have to overcome all of that with great humility, with great transparency, to say, I'm not perfect, but I, I love God and what I have, I want you to have as well. Can I tell you that you are the most likely candidate to reach your family if you won't believe the lie that you're disqualified from doing it? All right, I'm moving on. But when David returned to bless his house, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How is the king of Israel distinguished himself today? Can't you just hear the sarcasm in her voice. Can you hear it? He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servant's maid as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. Look, she's preaching to him now, isn't she? And so David said to Michael, It was before the Lord 
You hear that? He said, I did it before the Lord. Who, who chose me <laughs> above your father. Her father was Saul. Saul was disqualified as a king because of his pride. Do you hear her pride? Can you hear it? And David, he says, My, I did it before the Lord who chose me and appointed me ruler over Israel. Here, therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. Do any of you feel that way? That you're like, the only reason I'm here is because of God. Like the only reason I'm breathing is because of God. And if I did anything, I did it before Him. And He says, I will be more lightly esteemed than this. Another translation says, I'll be more undignified than this. <laughs> and will be humble in my, in my own eyes. But with the maids in their eyes, but with the maids whom you have spoken with them, I will be distinguished. Listen to this. Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Wow. So I want to go back and cover just a few things, if I can, that I think are important for us. So I want us to go back. I actually thought that David wanted to get the ark from Obed-Edom because he got word that God was blessing Obed-Edom and all of his children just because the ark was there. And I thought, David got word that, he would, that the blessings were falling on the ark and he decided, I'm going to go get the ark and bring it back to my place. But that's why you got to read above and below, right? So if you go up above and read... In verse 9, it says, David was afraid. You remember what I told you? That, that Yuza had been killed, and David thinks God is angry, and he can't figure out how to move the ark, and so he, he parks it there. He says, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark. He's unwilling to move it until he can figure out how to get it there without anybody else getting hurt. When he hears that God is blessing Obed-Edom, it dawns on David. God's not mad. Because if he's mad, he wouldn't be blessing. And he's blessing. He's blessing, so, so we're okay. And now I've searched God, and I know how to go and get this thing. And so I'm going to go get it, and I'm going to go bring it back to where it's supposed to be. Now I have a question for you. Why do you seek the presence of God? Is it because what you really want is the blessing of God? Or because you really hunger and thirst for the presence of God? Do you understand the question? Because I think it is possible for us, and, and I probably read into it my own sin, so let me go on and repent, can I? Because, you know, sometimes you'll read in your own sin in the Scripture. And I had to look at myself and say, Kevin, what do you want more? That's a good question. What do you want more? Do you want everything in your life to go well? Do you want to be blessed? Do you want the favor of God? Is that what you're seeking? And you'll go wherever and do whatever to find it and try to bring it back to your house? Or are you like David who I believe says, Oh, God's not mad. I can go get it. <laughs> I, I can be back with his presence. Someone that longed for the presence of God so much that they said, I got to have him. That I'll search the word until I can find him. <laughs> that, 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 I'll, that I'll search out scripture until I can, I can have him because I, I've got to have his presence. I wonder how many Christians are moving through life 
And the presence of God is, is not high on their list of what I want. But I want to tell you that if you want anything else, you'll be disappointed. What was that message last week? All I want for Christmas is Jesus. Because I have discovered that there's nothing else that can satisfy me like him. And so David, he's moving this thing back and he's so excited because he's, he's able to bring the presence of God to the capital city. And he strips down. Now, I preached this before and I talked about the, the, the issue of dignity. But I want to bring something else to your attention. David is a king. And what David does is he strips off his royal robe. <laughs> oh, some of you know where I'm going, right? Some of y'all get excited. It's coming. He's a king, and he strips off his royal robe, and he's down to his undergarment, which is what the priest would use in their, their service because they were supposed to be humble unto the Lord. So he takes off his priest, uh, he takes off his kingly robe, and he's wearing his humble robe before the Lord. And I said to myself, that sounds a lot like Jesus. Doesn't it? Does that sound? In fact, I said, I've heard that before. I've heard it somewhere. Where have I heard it? And I started to search in Scripture, and here's what it says. It's talking about Jesus. Philippians 2, verse 6. Who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see what Jesus did? David is foreshadowing what Jesus will do. Here's the king of glory. What did he do? He took off his kingly robe and came and dwelt among men remember christmas emmanuel god with us took on our flesh humility and there are people who will say the stories of david and the stories of the old testament they only point to jesus and i would say they definitely all point to jesus i preach that all the time every story pointing toward jesus but listen to philippians 2 verse 5 Ooh, i didn't say that did i have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ. Mm. If I was a lawyer, I'd rest my case right there. <laughs> I would say, follow me. David is foreshadowing what Jesus will do when he took off his kingly robe and he put on a servant's garment to serve us. And just like he did when he was washing feet, he looks at us and he says, I want you to do the exact same thing that I'm doing. I want you to do the exact same thing. When's the last time you pursued the servant role and not the kingly role? I've heard it said before, if you want to know if someone has a servant's heart, treat them like a servant. Y'all didn't like that? There was, should have been like light bulbs went off. Do you know if you have a servant's heart? I can tell you. When someone treats you like a servant, whatever wells up inside of you is a pretty good indication of where your heart is. If what wells up inside of you is, who do they think they are? 
do they know who I am? Do they think they are going to talk to me that way? <laughs> a lot of times I just walk around the building here and I just introduce myself on Sunday mornings as Kevin. And it's particularly effective when I don't have this microphone because with this microphone, they're like, I don't know what he does, but he does something because he's got a microphone. <laughs> but I love to just walk up and say, I'm Kevin. You know why? Because the interaction that I have with you, I want it to be that. I want you to know me as Kevin. People call me Kevin. Some people call me Pastor Kevin because they can't get over the fact that they need to title me as something. <laughs> but, I, but I do it for a reason. It's because I have to remind myself that I'm just like you. That I'm a servant of God just like you. And if I ever get so high and lifted up that I think I'm pastor somebody from somewhere, that I'm in danger. And if you think you're so-and-so somebody from so-and-so somewhere, you're in danger of the fall that comes with pride. But I'll tell you, Scripture says that if you humble yourself, then God will exalt you when He knows the time is right. And so I would encourage you to do like David, live a life where you don't need a kingly robe. You're more than willing to take a servant's towel and do the work. And so he's dancing, and he's, and he's in his underwear, essentially. And his wife, Mikul, she looks at him, and she says, Ooh, how distinguished you are. If you're going to praise God in a big way, people are going to criticize you. Can I go on and tell you? that you're going to face criticism, if you're going to follow Christ in any authentic kind of way, any kind of passionate sort of way, you're going to face some criticisms. And I believe her criticism came because she was embarrassed. They're her maids, not his. They're hers. I just suspect that when she sees David out there dancing like a fool, she thinks, oh, I'm going to hear it from my maids. They're going to harass me about how foolish David looked, and I'm going to be so embarrassed before my mates. Can I tell you that if you're worried about being embarrassed, you'll probably never offer up an authentic praise? Because you, you can't do both. You can't please God and please man. And I believe what happened was that, that she was embarrassed and she, she feared their opinion and she, she feared their criticism and she feared their laughter. And I will tell you that if you are ever going to do anything, at some point you're going to face criticism. It'll be, you were too much of this, but you were not enough of this. <laughs> you, you went too far over here or you didn't go far enough over here. Yeah. <laughs> One day, the Lord, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but I'm going to go ahead. Oh, Jesus. One day, we're going to name all these people anonymous, okay? One day, I'm, I'm moving about through the city, and it's hilarious what happened. So I, I talked to somebody, and, you know, people, they kind of come and go in churches, right? That's sort of the culture that we live in. People come and go, and as a pastor, that's a difficult thing, but you, you have to deal with it because it's part of the assignment. So I ran into somebody, 
And I said, hey, how you doing? I miss you. They said, yeah. They said, it, you know, the, the service has just been a little flat lately. So I just had to go somewhere where the Spirit of God was. I said, ooh, that hurt. <laughs> I said, okay. So I went back and I remember. <laughs> Praise God. I hope you're happy there. Just, oh, you know. And, and then that's when, you, you know, you got the armor of God and they got that little sword. That little sword and that little knife was so that you could pull out the arrows that got past your armor. I'm like, ooh, that stung. And then I went to somewhere else and, and I, I recognized the face. But I was like, where do I know this person? I said, your face looks familiar. She said, I know. I've been to your church. I said, oh, no. Because I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't recognize your face real well, so I, apparently it didn't go well. I was like, really? I said, I, I haven't seen you. She said, yeah. She said, it was just weird. She said, yeah, just, just a little too charismatic for me. I said, okay. And then that same day that I... I it's in the same day. It's within the same eight-hour work day, y'all. Somebody came to me and they said, you know so-and-so's left the church. I said, no, I didn't know that. I said, why? They said, well, it, it wasn't white enough. You know, because we blended our churches together. They said, well, it wasn't, wasn't white enough. I said, okay. Went on, and somebody came to me, and they said, you know, so-and-so left the church. I said, really? It's a big day for that. <laughs> I said, it's, it's, been a, it's been a big day for that. I said, I'm, I'm, in, I'm interested in seeing what Sunday's going to bring if I'll be on one that. I said, well, why did they leave? They said, well, it, it, it wasn't African-American enough. I said, okay. So I got in my car. And I shut the door, and I laughed hysterically. I said, God, that's probably the best thing. I said, I would have been too ignorant to have put all those pieces together if you hadn't brought them all in the same eight-hour day. I said, but because you were good enough to bring them all to me within the same eight-hour day, I just realized that I'm not white enough, I'm not black enough, I'm not charismatic enough, and I'm too charismatic. So God, clearly, I can't please every person that walks in that door. So God, rather than try to have a church where I try to please everybody that walks through the door, my stand will be this. We did it before the Lord. We did it. We did it before the Lord. Because we can't please every one of y'all. Because y'all got opinions like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. So we're going to do it unto the Lord. And the ones that want to follow the direction that we are following, then amen, come and be with us. We don't turn anyone away. I've had people ask me before, and I'm going to move on. People say, is that a spirit-filled church? I said, it absolutely is. But if you want to use that to divide us against people who don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then I don't want you here. 
because nothing is supposed to divide the body of church. Certainly not our theological positions. We're supposed to be able to bring, and that's what I love around here. We got Presbyterians, we got Methodists, we got Baptists, we got Baptocostals, we got Pentecostals. We got, I don't know, I just love Jesus, people. Yeah. Yeah. One last thing. David, David, I think he looks at her and he says, why are you worried about what the maids think? And I want to leave that one with you. You ever had people criticizing you? Maybe people in your family or, or, or your relatives, whatever it may be. You know, and, and they're criticizing you about, about things. At some point, now you, I'll say this, you do need a group of people around you who love you, who are godly, who will give you godly counsel. So when they look at you and they say, Whoa, dude, I'm not sure what's going on right now, that you heed that voice. You know, you got, a, you got a mama or a daddy, a spiritual mama or a daddy, a spiritual brother or sister that has that right to speak into your life, okay? Yeah, but those are not the ones that we're talking about here. We're talking about the mates. <laughs> and at some point, you got to do what David did. I think he looks at Michael and he says, why are you worried about the mates? Who are the mates? Who are the people who are criticizing you. The people who are criticizing you probably have very little influence in the world. You ever notice that? The people who criticize the most do the least. You ever notice that? Because that's all they got time for. And at some point, you will have to look at your critics and you'll go, you know what? That's just the maids talking. That's not important. Their opinion of me does not matter. Because I tell you that if you let everybody's opinion of you matter, you will become a people pleaser. It's the only choice you have. If people's opinion matter, you will become a people pleaser. But if you're like David, he says, oh, I'll be more lightly esteemed than this because I know where I came from. And the maze didn't choose me. God chose me. The maids didn't go out in the shepherd field when they had looked at all the other sons. The maids didn't go get me and say, David, God wants you. No, David went and got, God went and got David and brought him in. And it was God that called David. And it was God that made him king. And you need to realize it is not the people who criticize you that are going to come and get you. They're not going to appoint you. And they're not going to be there when you need them. <laughs> But God, but God will. So if any of you are getting some flack from your cousins or your family or whatever, you might need to look and see if you've been worried about what the maids are talking about and let the maids talk. And then this thing of honor. We got to choose. And I think too many times as the church of America we choose dignity over a lack of dignity. Can I say that? Can I say that I believe the Church of America values dignity more than it values most anything else? That when it comes to worship, we think, now we got to be dignified. Now we, we, we got we to gotta act like we're, we're somebody. 
you're going to have to draw a line in the sand because you know what worrying about your dignity is going to make you? It's going to make you lukewarm. It's going to make you lackluster. It's going to make you half-hearted. And you will have to choose if that's the way you want to live life and that's the way that you want to serve God. But I can see David drawing a line in the sand and he says, I refuse to be lukewarm. I refuse to worry about what somebody else is going to say or do about me. In fact, he says this, but with the maids of whom you have spoken with them, I will be distinguished. Here's what he's saying. The world is longing for an authentic person that has an authentic relationship with God. They're longing for somebody that says, can I find somebody who loves God so much that they give their life for Him? Is there anybody in America that will do that now? That would give your life for God that says, I don't count my life that important. But that I would love him so much that I refuse to let people tell me how I'm going to live my life so that through my zeal, they will look and see that God is real. Ooh, if you want to remember that, it rhymed, and I just noticed that. <laughs> it is zeal for the Lord that speaks to the Lord and says, my goodness, for him to act that way, there really must be something there. But then make sure that there really is something there. Because I want to talk about that for just a moment. Because in the midst of this, you could get the idea that Kevin's saying that, that then we just got to be loud and, and I got to raise my hands all the time and I got to dance all the time. And, and that's not what I told you. What I'm saying is you, you need to be authentic. But if you don't have praise in your heart and thanksgiving in your heart, and it's been a long time since you've had it, you might need to go back and inventory what God's been doing because you might have forgotten. Yeah. And, and, and then in the midst of that, I don't want you to think, well, I'll just get up and, and act like a fool. Because as leaders, that puts us in a bad spot. <laughs> because, see, if you always live your life like David said, I, I was doing it before the Lord then I tell you what, I'll defend your right to do it. Can I tell you that? As your pastor, if what you do in your worship is before the Lord, I'll defend it. But if what you're trying to do is draw attention to yourself, then one of us as leaders may need to come and ask you to sit down. You know, we may need to ask you to step outside. Because what we're not trying to do is draw attention to you. And that's what David said. He was like, I, I didn't do it to draw attention to myself. I, I did it because I was welling up inside with, with praise for God. I couldn't help myself. It wasn't about me. It was about God. And I will tell you that if you worship in that way, where it is about you and it is not God, I'll defend that all day long. In fact, <laughs> While we're on the subject, <laughs> I had someone come to me and they said, I don't think we're going to be able to come back to church. It, it was a rough kind of week, okay? This has been several weeks ago. It's all over and done. Don't think it was last week. No, it, this is a long time ago. You never preach on things that are current. You process them. You go before the Lord 
a year and a half later you preach them. Okay, all right, let me go on and just prepare you for that. You don't preach what happened last week. You preach what happened about a year and a half ago, okay? So this person, they said, yep. They said, I, I just can't go back. I said, well, why not? They said, because that tambourine. I said, Tam- tambourine? Do we, do we have a tambourine? <laughs> and on occasion, we have a tambourine. And, and so I found out who it was, and it's a, it's a lady that I love so dearly who comes with her, her tambourine. And, and I'll make a couple of comments that I think are appropriate here. One is, we ought to be praising God in such a way that you can't hear that tambourine. I, I, I just think you ought to be praising so loud that the tambourine, you didn't hear the tambourine. Like, I was like, what tambourine? I had to investigate to find out, where's the tambourine? I don't hear it. And they're like, well, it's over here. I'm like, oh, okay. And, and so I had to have a, a sit down about this tambourine. And, and I had to look at them and I say, I, I, I can't tell the tambourine to stop. Because the lady playing the tambourine was diagnosed with cancer, terminal cancer. And she celebrated her 10 years of being cancer-free. And she gives all the glory to God. You see, if you looked at David, you'd be like, that's just a crazy man. I don't know why he's so excited. You look at the tambourine woman and you go, I don't know why she plays the tambourine that way. Because you didn't know that she had cancer and was going to die. And she's celebrating her 10 years of being cancer free. Maybe I should tell you to stop. You know, maybe I do need to tell somebody to stop. I need to tell you to stop. Stop worrying about other people and worship God. I was down here one Sunday, and I was just worshiping, and I was singing so loud. And, and regularly, I apologize to the praise team. Like, I'll come up to Crystal, and I'm like, if I'm singing too loud, just let me know. And, and you know, Amy, I'm like, look, if I'm, if I'm messing up, Chris, if I'm throwing you off key, you just let me know. There was one Sunday, man, I was just, oh, I was led to God. I was just singing, and I was like, whew, I better stop. I got to preach. And all of a sudden, I got embarrassed. And I thought, what if people hear me? (laughs) And you know what I did? I stopped. So let me tell you that it it don't matter how long you've been with the Lord. We wrestle at different levels with different things. And on that day, I I stopped. I don't know if it's because Brantley moved away from me. But I, but I stopped. But this morning, I made another declaration. I said, God, as long as I'm doing it before you, then I'm not going to worry about how loud I get. Because surely somebody else in the room ought to drown me out. Surely, other people in the room, if they are recognizing what God has done in their life, that's the starting point, y'all. It's, it's cause and effect. It, it is not I worship to try to get God to do something good. It's no, I'm recognizing what he's doing good and it's causing me to praise. Don't get them backwards. Yeah. And then, as soon as David gets done having this conversation and he says, you know what, I'm, 
I'll be more undignified than this is necessary in order for the world to have an example of a person who has been touched by God. Then David gets this bright idea. I want to build God a house. He said, I got a big house. But God doesn't have a house. God's ark lives in a a tent. And I want to build God a, a house. And some of you probably know the story. At first, the prophet Nathan says, yeah, this is God. Go and do it. And then Nathan comes back. He says, oh, hold up. That's not God. You can't do it. Your son Solomon is, is going to do it. But I want to tell you that because of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has come. And the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in this building. He dwells in human hearts. He, he never was excited about living in a temple. Can I just go and tell you that? God was never excited about, whoo, they're going to build me a temple. You know what he was excited about? One day I'm going to send my son. And he's going to save them. And they're going to, they're going to ask me, invite me into their heart. And I'm going to take up my abode in them. I'm going to take up, I'm going to tabernacle among them. I'm going to live in them. They're going to be my dwelling place. I'm going to dwell in them. And so I think all of us ought to be like David. When you get to that place of great praise, sometimes you got to ask yourself, am I the dwelling place of God? Would God even want to hang out in my heart? And I'll tell you, whoever's listening in the room, he say, all I need is an open invitation, and I'll come in. He said, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've been through. None of those things disqualify you. All I want is a heart that I can come in and make my home. Can I have a home in your heart? Can can the Holy Spirit have a home in your heart? How about this side over here? Is your heart a place that you would say, God, I want you to come and just hang out here with me? I I want to be the the dwelling place of God so that if someone was to ask, where's God? You say, well, I don't know about you, but he's in me. And and then reveal that to them. So I've I've got some other New Year's resolutions that I want to close with. This year, I would love for us to say individually, just like Amy said so appropriately during that song that they can't sing a hallelujah for you, I can't be the dwelling place of God for you. Can I tell you that if you rely on me to be the dwelling place of God, I'll disappoint you. you got to make your own dwelling. you got to make your own room for God. And so in 2020, I think each of us individually ought to say this. This year, God, I want you to dwell with me. I want your presence more than I want your blessing. I, I want your, your presence more than I want my life to, to go well. I just want you, God. I, I'm just, I just want you. And then to say, I just want you to dwell in my family. I want you to dwell among my kids. Can I meddle for just a minute? Because I'm going to. <laughs> Man, there's so many things our kids can do, and my son is involved in, in a lot. But I've been convicted that at the end of my days, God will not ask me, Did I raise a great ball player? Did I raise a great dancer? Did I raise a great whatever kind of athlete in whatever sport? And and I do believe that there are those who are absolutely called to sports. 
Yes, to minister, to, to be called to those fields, to minister. We're called to all of those. But, but I think we spend more time carting our kids around than we do making sure that our home is a dwelling place of God. And in 2020, I think as parents, we ought to reevaluate our schedules. And we ought to stick with what matters and say, you know what? They may not be able to do everything. But I tell you what I am going to do. I'm going to have them among God's people. I'm going to have them in God's presence. And they'll get to choose whether they want to follow him or not. But I'm going to get him as close as I can get him to the presence of God. (laughs) I'm going to get him as close as I can get him without burning him up. (laughs) So that he might have a chance to receive Christ. So a dwelling place in me, a dwelling place in our families. This ought to be a dwelling place. For so long I've said that all we ever did was invite people to church. And I told you to go out and tell them, look, first you need a relationship with Jesus. Then we'll talk about church. But I think we also ought to have a place that is so rich, so full of God, that you can't help but tell somebody, you ought to come with me on Sunday. I'll come pick you up. I'll come pick you up. Because you don't ever know what's going to happen down there. But I can assure you this, God's there. God's there. And you say, how do you know that God's there? Because I'm overbringing. Yep, I feel confident in telling people, God will be there. You know why? Because I'm going to bring him there. You know why? Because in 2020, I declared it so for us, we will spend more time preparing ourselves to be together as the body of Christ, more time than we prepared fixing our hair. More time than picking out our outfit. Mm that our preparation would be, I don't care what I wear. I'll wear my ephod if I have to. I'll come in my underwear if I have to. I I am not worried about my outer garment. What I am worried about is that I personally bring God when I come. Because if you don't bring him, what made you think anybody else ought to bring him? Huh? Who, who, Who lets you think that you could come in? Now, as believers, now, as the world, they get to come in empty, okay? They, they have absolute permission to come in empty. But as a believer, who gave you permission to come in unprepared? Huh? Oh, I, didn't, oh, I see it on your face. I'm going to say it just one more time. Who gave you permission to come in here as the blood-bought children of God? And we spent more time trying to figure out what kind of outfit we were going to wear than if our hearts were ready for worship. Mm. So here's what has to happen for us. What I'm telling you, and I know i got to hurry because your stomachs are growling, I'm sure. <laughs> We've got to battle complacency, church. You hear that word? Complacency. Say it with me. Complacency. Say it one more time. Say it one more time. We got to kill it. We have to kill complacency. Because I can tell you this. The world out there is darker than you would like to imagine. There are more problems than you would like to realize. And the strategy of the Church of America is I'll just move away from there. 
That's a bad strategy. I, I'll just get enough money and I'll just move out. I'm like, that's not a strategy. Or the church, I'll just go another direction where I don't have to see it. I'll just drive around it. Because I don't want to know that there are, are poor people. And, and I don't want to know that there are broken families. And, and I don't want to know that there's poverty because that stuff makes me feel bad. I don't like feeling bad. So I'm just going to drive around it. Can I tell you that what it's going to take is a group of people who are willing to kill complacency in their life. Oh, I got your attention now. I can see it. Your heart's turned turn to me. A group of people that said, I will kill complacency in my life because we have got to have a relationship with God so that the depth of the glory that I have experienced is greater than the darkness that I face on my job. You see that? That's why you get beat up at work. It's because you're going into a place that is darker than you have revelation of glory. Let that settle for a minute. You see? You see, you can't fight that stuff at work because you haven't done the, the hard work in the places where nobody was listening. We haven't done the hard work of saying, I have got to encounter the glory at such a level that it will overtake the darkness. We have to experience the love of Jesus so much that when you go to work, you go, Ooh, you better be glad I had my quiet time. <laughs> because if I hadn't had my quiet time, I wouldn't know how to love you. But because I have experienced the love of God for me, I can love you. We, we've got to have a, 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 a revelation of who God is that our knowledge of God as provider, thank you, Scott, for that prayer. Scott does love in action. And so they take, collect furniture, and they deliver it to people who need furniture. And his prayer was that God was a provider. You see, he's seen that. He's seen poverty. But he prayed about poverty. Thank you. Because he had a revelation of God as a provider. Do you see people are always going to be poor until they get a, a, a revelation of God as provider? Until God's people come with a new revelation of God as provider. People are always going to have broken homes until someone comes with a revelation of God as a reconciler, a restorer. People are always going to have kids who are involved in gangs and drugs and who die until we come with a, revolution, a revelation of life. So stand with me. We walk a balance as Christians of seeing what God has done and knowing that there is more that He wants to do. Ember, let me ask you a question. Is God done in Chester? No. Is God done in your family? No. Is God done in you? No. Yeah. So here's the challenge. Always stay mindful of what God is doing. We've got to praise Him more. We've got to be more thankful we got to be more mindful of what he's doing. we got to get the word out. People say, you're just bragging on yourself. Don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. I don't know. They told Joshua to get some memorial stones and to build them so that one generation could speak to the next about the greatness of God. If we don't declare the greatness of God, do you think our kids are going to care? Huh? 
If we don't declare the greatness of God, we look at our teenagers and we go, oh, I don't know about them. I'm so worried about our young generation. they just apathetic and they just this. Do you think they're ever going to get a revelation of that until we do? I want to leave you with this. If 2019 you were just going through the motions, if you were just going through the motions, then I want you to evaluate that and say, you know what? I'm going to kill complacency. I'm going to be more undignified. And I'm going to pursue God with reckless abandon. Because I just believe that if I seek him, I'll find him. Because scripture said that if you seek me, but don't seek me with a half heart. But if you seek me with a whole heart, you will find me. So, Ember, I'm just offering a challenge. There are times that I feed you, and there are times that I shear you. (laughs) I don't know which one I did today. But I want to pray this over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for... 2019. I thank you for all that you did. But Lord, it almost feels like just scratching the surface. That, that Lord, it'd be too easy for us to get complacent right there. It'd get too easy for us to just get complacent about showing up for a, a service and not being the church. And so, God, I pray that you would kill that complacency in us. And, Lord, that you would light a a fire in us. Lord, we're we're ember. That was supposed to be our name. That at any time we died down, God, if your Holy Spirit would breathe on us, we would flare up again. And that sparks would fly. And so I'm praying that sparks will fly in the business world, in the schools, wherever our people go, that, Lord, they might find you and find a God that is not dead, but a God that is surely alive. So maybe, Lord, we need to be more undignified. And if so, then, Lord, I say yes. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Sometimes I I tell you to to go and be dangerous. Today I'm going to say go and be a little less dignified. God bless.